We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,035 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite on an odd day, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm relatively well. Thank you very much for asking. I hope you two are too. Doing well, thank you. Bruce, how are you? Yeah, doing well. Healthy alive, as usual. Glad to hear it. Shall we begin today, Marty, on MP Andrew Brigden, who has been suspended from the Conservative Party today? Uh, pending a formal investigation, if you give me just a moment, I will give you the exact wordage from, uh, I believe it's the um, uh, the party whip is the one that suspended him, if I'm not mistaken. He says that Andrew Brignett has crossed the line, causing great offense in the process. As a nation, we should be very proud of what has been achieved through the vaccine program. The vaccine is the best defense against COVID that we have. Misinformation about the vaccine causes harm and costs lives. I am therefore removing the whip from Andrew Brigden with immediate effect pending a formal investigation. Well, that's uh, disgraceful, isn't it? Um, that was nearly the first bleep of the night as well um, from my response. The thing is, Andrew, I can't pronounce his name, Brigden. This, uh, we're just going to uh, go with Brigden because it doesn't even... Let's go yeah. with Brigden. I've listened to him speak on a number of occasions. He hasn't put anything in the public domain that isn't already inside uh, a medical report or a, a statistics report from the ONS. And so the whip is lying out of his hoop, as we say. And he's completely, it, it's, it's standard propaganda technique. He He's made Brigden out to be the bad guy because they can't admit to their failures. The old saying, a man who never made a mistake, never made anything, that applies to anyone of any gender also. They can't admit to their mistakes, and therefore we're supposed to believe that they've not made any, um, which is the only thing that's stopping people from tearing down the, the doors of Westminster and dragging their lying, bought-and-paid-for, sell-out, traitorous asses into the street. You know, we've been seeing uh, a lot of the fallout of this. Um, well, it, I I don't even 
I don't even want to say for certain because like that's what's so ingenious about this entire thing is when we looked at the research of the actual test programs that they had back in the uh, mid teens, you know, 2000 to 2010 to 2013 of this uh, mRNA when they actually went through and, and trialed it with the animals. They had a 100% fatality rate. And during that fatality, or excuse me, and during various fat fatalities as they took place on these test subjects, it was funny. They all died of something else. It was never a direct result of receiving an mRNA vaccination. It was always something else. It was some other form of organ failure or hemorrhaging or heart attack or stroke or something of that nature. Or, or cytokine storm, I believe, was, was another one. Yeah. Where they... Where yeah. they had the autoimmune massive, response. Massive damage to lung tissue yeah. uh, in well, most you saw the of paper. the cases. Yeah, yeah, you saw the paper yeah. too. I sent it to you, yeah. Saw the papers, saw, saw the, the the graphics. Um, well, we we don't know. Maybe they were um, the enclosure that the test subjects were kept in. Maybe the climate control went haywire uh, and caused all kinds of problems like we're supposed to believe is happening in, in the state of Victoria in, in Australia uh, with their four seasons in one day, rapid changing weather can cause genetic mutations, we're now told, in complex creatures such as humans. You're going to make me play the clip, aren't you? I think you should, yeah, because this is possibly the most obvious feed of utter bullshit you're ever going to hear. Melbourne's wildly fluctuating weather could be putting Victorians at greater risk of cancer or other illnesses. A Monash University study has looked at the long-term impact of the city's famous four seasons in one day with surprising results. From summer snow to searing heat days later... Melbourne is notorious for having one of the most temperamental climates in the world. Over the past couple of days and weeks, we've certainly lived up to that reputation. But according to a new study, our wild weather could be taking a serious toll on our health. Our study is the first to take a look at uh, the temperature fluctuation and the gene expression, first in Australia and first in the world. Researchers from Monash University collected blood samples from 479 people exposed to fluctuating temperatures each day for a week. They found significant changes to genes linked to diseases like breast and colorectal cancer, schizophrenia, depression and bipolar. The findings are significant, but it's still early days. Researchers have only tested females so far. They hope to assess men and pregnant women exposed to the same conditions in the near future. 1.75 million deaths are associated with unstable temperatures around the globe each year and older Australians face the biggest risk. Researchers hope the breakthrough will lead to further action against climate change. In the meantime, there are small steps you can take to protect yourself. When you are indoors, I think it is better to, to make the temperature as comfortable as you can to mitigate the impact of the unstable temperature. Rochelle Brown, 7 News. Yeah, utter, utter tripe. It's getting your excuse in first, isn't it? It, it's like, it is, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. You, you've not been altered by uh, a messenger ribonucleic acid gene therapy. Your genes have been altered and caused problems because it was a bit hot one day and a bit cold the next. Bullshit. Um, 
uh, out of curiosity, who paid for the research? Um, uh, probably that's... the CCP, because let's face yes, it, they had one of their the main mouthpiece there was <laughs> no. no doubt a member of the People's Liberation Army, and um, <laughs> even in in the clip, the blonde lady who was wearing a mask and we couldn't see her face. That was probably a Chinese lady with a blonde wig on. So we could you very know. well be, yeah, could be. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not like they would modify your genetic makeup. It's not like they would do that. It's not like this is a a, a test case to do that. Bruce, you you look you look a little perplexed. Are you saying that that's quite possibly what? has happened here? Well, I'm just saying that uh, I don't think any of this data that they were proposing was grounded in any form of fact. Basically, um, you you want a research paper that proves your point of view? Just got to have enough money. Go in, take that, go to your favorite think tank, propose uh, the amount of money that you want, and you can have the research, uh, well, the amount of money they want. And you I'll can have any research paper that says anything you want. I can't remember exactly how many uh, test subjects there were in that study, but I think it was about 429, yeah, something like some that. odd number was, like that. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to see what the real data uh, and and out of those that have developed g- genetic changes, how many were vaccinated, how many were unvaccinated. When I say vaccinated, I mean poisoned by mRNA gene therapy, not a proper vaccine that actually does what it's meant to do. Because there, there doesn't seem to have been any evidence there presented of, of proper control measures. Within any experiment, there's always got to be a control. That wasn't presented there. And, you know, you ask the question, Johnny, why would they would they want to change your genes? I just can't get the Bill Gates TED talk out of my head about, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just change the gene that causes aggression mm-hmm. and some when i was gaming playing world of warships other online games are also available and someone said the conversation got on to aggression and uh someone says oh i like to avoid unnecessary aggression i said there's no such thing as unnecessary aggression if you're aggressive if you become aggressive there are stimuli that are creating that aggression um whether it's some form of external stress or other. And we use that aggression to get things done. So when you're under physical threat, that aggression comes from stress. The stresses are coming from the physical threat and you use the aggression to survive. So there's no such thing as unnecessary aggression. What there are are very unnecessary stimuli um, that cause aggression, which I suffer from. Like I said on the last podcast, I wound up feeling like the subject of making a murderer because all my buttons are being pressed at once. If I was half asleep all the time and and not paying attention, I'd just, you know, drift through life without any aggression or getting upset. But at the moment, just about every day, I'm finding something that is, um, well, making the old adrenaline rush. Can can I push a button? Bruce, should I push a button? uh, Sure, why not? I mean, he did just say there is no, like, aggression is necessary. So, yeah, it is necessary. I agree. Yeah, it is necessary. Again, why would they want to alter your genetics? Well, let's hear it. Walter Isaacson's new book, The Codebreaker, tells an amazing story. It's about how Jennifer Doudna and other scientists discovered a new way to edit DNA. Editing DNA with precision has been a holy grail for scientists for decades. 
DNA, of course, encodes all of the biological functions. And so some of the mistakes in DNA cause disease, genetic disease. If we could go in and fix those mistakes, we could save many, many lives and get rid of these diseases. CRISPR is a very fascinating tool. You figure out a part of the DNA sequence that you want to change. Then you take the DNA that's nearby and create a guide in RNA. So that helps you locate the position. And then you link this CAS enzyme, which has the ability to do that cut and edit. And so pulling together this guiding RNA and this CAS enzyme, editing uh, becomes possible. Our foundation is funding work to see if we can use CRISPR to knock down mosquito populations dramatically. We're also looking at CRISPR to make better seeds. We're also looking at ways that CRISPR might help us with uh, very accurate diagnostics. And uh, we're considering how the CRISPR gene editing might lead to a way of curing HIV and things like sickle cell. Using CRISPR to help cure disease is not very controversial, but using CRISPR, you could actually change the DNA that would determine your baby's eye color or skin tone. Most scientists agree that this is something that we should not do. Walter's book does a great job talking about how it's a slippery slope and raising the question of where should we draw the line and the relative role of the scientific community and governments in helping make sure that we don't cross it. There's no question uh, CRISPR is gonna save a lot of lives. It's gonna raise uh, issues. And so I hope you enjoy the book. I'm not talking to you. You can piss off the <laughs> Controversial. It's not very controversial, no, you, is it? Or is it? That video, that video, when was it from? That had to be around was, about 2013? Uh, no, it, it's rather recent. Because obviously CRISPR has been known about. Yeah, yeah. I want to say this onwards. is, yeah, yeah. This is rather recent. I want to say this is between 2015 and 2017. What's okay. the book name? Uh, Code, the Code Breaker by Walter. Yeah, the Code Breaker by uh, Walter something. I, I didn't catch the name. Walter something or other. But he's mentioning the scientists Jennifer uh, Doudna or something, I believe is right. She's That's last year. Last year. Okay. So yeah. she is a top researcher in RNA therapeutics and DNA editing. And she gave a presentation at the World Economic Forum. Bruce and I watched it last night. And you concluded through the numbers that she was throwing up and the, the, the statistics you were crunching that there's about a 25% risk, as in like a failure rate, in doing this kind of work and this kind of research. So no one can afford those kind of odds, can they? No. The only people who can afford those kind of odd, odds are people who are on the verge of death. But it's just chance, to- though. It's it, like it's not even it's not even a guaranteed outcome. I'm saying 25 no, percent no, at but, best. And that's that's a, a game of chance in and of itself. That was just based off of one uh, one instance that they tried. If someone's handing you a life belt as you're drowning, you're going to take it and people will take take up the opportunity to have that kind of gene editing done to a caveat, to save though. The, the caveat is, is the only gene editing they're doing right now is embryonic. It's not in uh, fully grown, matured organisms. It's in embryo state, and they're changing it uh, before it starts to multiply. So 
they they change it and after it's been fertilized and then uh it, they allow it to mutate and then they're seeing the changes so they made changes in rats uh before uh the rats were pregnant uh, i believe they they basically did changes to the egg and then uh the sperm and uh, then fertilized the egg and reimplanted, and then the litter of uh, uh, pups, I guess. I don't know what do you call it for rats. Uh, there was eight, and of the eight, two of them did not follow the correct uh, gene alteration. But that's not to say that they wouldn't have other complications going forward. That we they don't didn't know. cover any of that. These were just pups. They were just newly born, uh, and you could see the difference in coat. Basically, they changed the color of the the, the coat uh, from black rat to white, and it worked in six of the eight. Well, it's stuff you just shouldn't mess with. Quite frankly, there are oh, reasons agree. why you should not why most of the scientific world have said. We're not touching this with a barge pole. But the way in which Gates presented it there, it was like, oh, look at this. Isn't this wonderful? But perhaps we shouldn't do it. it. It's too late by then. By the time you've sold the idea to someone that there's a way of re-editing or editing your DNA to get rid of, um, you know, uh, genetic defects that cause problems in later life. We've got a friend and I'm... I'm going to mention this because I don't think he listens anyway. He had three children, a daughter who was the oldest and two sons who were a little bit younger than their sister. And as they developed and went into puberty, certain things became apparent and they, they went away to be checked, first of all, by Ed Psych, you know, educational psychologists, and then eventually the medical world got hold of it. And it turns out there's a genetic defect in the family, passed on from the mother to sons only that basically collapsed their brains. So both of his teenage boys died um, within a year of each other. Now, if a lifeline, something like this, had been handed to that individual, once he'd become aware that his two sons were going to die, he'd have taken it. And people will take up that opportunity. Yeah, this so, that becomes... That that becomes a, a, what we call an end of life choice. That was one of the things that actually Donald Trump did. It was one of the things I agreed with him on. Was he made sure that that, that all options were made available, uh, and that included any kind of experimental treatments of of any kind that anybody had that option. And I'm all for that for that particular purpose. Yes, it, it, for an end of life option as a, as a course of treatment. If you want, like if it's if it is a hundred percent, you're not going to make it, and there is a chance that something can be done through an experimental procedure, you should have that right to be able to to take advantage of that. I agree with that. But the way Gates thinks with his, you know, his, his background, with his eugenics uh, fanatic father, and we're all a product of our parents or whoever brought us up, shall I say. We're all a product of that. But Gates, the way he thinks, the way he was in that TED talk, not in that clip we've just heard, but in the previous TED Talk, talking about breeding out or genetically modifying us so that we don't have the ability to get aggressive or angry. And we need to be angry, but they need us not to be angry. They need us to go meekly and mildly to, to the slaughter. Um, we hope it can be done in a civilised way kind of thing. Uh, and so when I hear him saying that in one video and then promoting CRISPR in another uh, and this book and just skirting over the ethical questions, 
yeah, it's 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 like they they make the small print, uh, you know, on on these con tricks very very small, so people don't bother to read it. They sell you the the idea, and you don't read the small print and wallop. You know, you can change everything by changing one thing, and that is something we have to avoid. So the corporations already smell blood uh, because of COVID. The pharmaceutical companies have all tasted blood in the water, if you will, from the half of their budget, half of their income was because of these CRISPR tech, because of the mRNA jab, half of it during COVID. So yeah, of course they're going to push for this because this is a cash cow for them. This is a money maker. They're going to push for this. Um, whether or not there's ethical uh, grounds or not, they don't care. It's money. It's money now. It's a cash cow. The The side effects of it, again, that doesn't matter because climate change is a issue. So we, we're we um, going to, to basically give it emergency authorization to uh, use these mRNA jabs for whatever. So yeah, I don't think you're going to have to sell it to the corporations to start manufacturing this now. It makes money. So they're going to do it. Uh, the Bill Gates of the world are going to have their eugenics like they want. And the people are going to take it up because um, they're sheep and they believe the uh, specialist class, the elite. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, the, the genie's out of the bottle. Unless the people start waking up and realizing that uh, this is bad, this is a problem, you're not going to see any change. Like this is, this is going to continue, but you're going to have some other pandemic or some other uh, emergency uh, that they're going to have to use uh, this uh, alteration for, the genetic alterations. And the, the side effects therein from, you know, myocarditis and so forth, uh, well, that's just climate change. But this loops us back into where we came in with Andrew Bridgens being suspended for apparent misinformation on COVID jabs. Yet all he was doing was quoting from medical reports, from the yellow card scheme and from the ONS data that they'd presented on excess deaths and, yeah. and the causes of those excess deaths. Well, he also made a tweet. This is the tweet that he put out. Uh, he says, and I'm quoting, as one consultant cardiologist said to me, this is the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. And he's not wrong. And no, I saw not. the tweet, actually, because I'm following him now on Twitter. So I'd, I'd actually seen that all, all, already. But you see, that's a politician speaking his mind. Either the elite haven't got anything on him or he really is incorruptible. Or just like the ones that switched the vote and got, was it MacArthur or McCarthy? What was his name? McCarthy. Yeah. McCarthy. They, uh, they finally, McCarthy. Buck finally buckled yeah. on the deal. Those ones that were voting in the right direction and then they stopped. And so suddenly, why did they stop? But yeah, Bridges. You, you're, talking about, you're talking about the Speaker of the House. Yeah. Uh, here in the US. They made a lot of concessions. There was a lot of good that came out of, they yeah, got in writing things thing. that he would do. and yeah, and. I uh, yeah, yeah. yeah look I, at his I, links. I mean, I, I, he took FTX. You know, for God's sake. I I don't disagree. Uh, and do I think it's going to affect any change? No, because you still have the Senate to deal with. You still have Mitch McConnell. You still have Lindsey Graham. You still have the the swamp to deal with. However, yes, this yep. is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I I am inclined to agree with you in in that regard. Yes, on the concessions. But here's the thing: those should not have been concessions. 
those should have been things that McCarthy brought to the table. And then we should have asked for another armload of stuff. I agree. But the Republican Party are a bunch of pansies, a bunch of pushovers. Uh, Well, (laughs) really, they're they're rhinos and they just tell their constituents to grab your ankles. And the constituents grab their ankles because they believe if they don't vote for a Republican, then the Democrats are going to win and we're going to lose the country. It doesn't matter who wins. You're going to lose the country anyway, because you're not voting in people that are standing for your principles. You're voting in rhinos or really Democrats who say they're Republicans. So, again, I say grab your ankles because you're, you're going to lose your country otherwise. I don't think it matters. And the reason I say that I don't think it matters is because look at what happened in Arizona. If you go back to the 2020 election, look what happened there. They've got a system in place that they will not lose in, and they don't care if they get caught. You know, Katie Hobbs, the uh, supposed winner of the uh, Arizona gubernatorial race, excuse me, gubernatorial race. Do you know she was sworn in in secret, as in it was behind closed doors and no one was allowed to see it? And she laughed when she she said that- She was laughing. Yeah, she laughed when she said that she will defend the Constitution of the United States. You see, no one can get near these people. That's a tell of uh, someone that's compromised by a Marxist movement is they will steal an election in whatever country. They will steal an election. They will get sworn in and then they will get isolated. They will get swept off somewhere and you will never be able to get near them. You notice when Biden takes questions from these uh, these pools of reporters, you know, the ones that he gets handpicked, you know, you see sometimes he holds up the uh, the paper and the camera catches it at the wrong angle and the, uh, the faces are circled and the names are underlined or highlighted as to who they are and what they're going to ask. These are handpicked. All of this is staged. Everything. My guess is, is that Katie Hobbs is probably going to get shuttled out the back door uh, and she's going to get put in some some job within the administration somewhere. And then they'll replace her with somebody uh, at the state level in Arizona that was not elected, just like she wasn't. That would be my guess. But again, does it even matter? Does it even matter? Let's take a look at some of the lists of attendees from the United States that will be at the Davos meeting in world at the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab. Oh, I, I wondered when we were going to get onto that. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. To we're going to get to about that. that in a little while. Well, that's good. That's good because Klaus has a lot to say himself. Some of the representatives, these are just to name a few. They've said that there's going to be 56 heads of state and over 600 CEOs are going to be in attendance this year. They've also said this morning that they have plans to deploy 5,000 Swiss military troops to ensure their security. Just to give you an idea. Now, apart from the fact I thought the Swiss military was supposed to be neutral, I I don't know. Uh, But anyway, We'll talk about that in a minute. So this is who they're going to have from the United States. Again, just to name a few, just to name a few. Uh, Bruce, you might like some of these people that are going to be uh, speakers down there. The Secretary of Labor, Martin J. Welsh, Martin J. Walsh, excuse me, Martin J. Walsh, he'll be down there. The Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines. Why wouldn't you want somebody from the Office of National Intelligence down there? Why, why wouldn't you want that? Of course you do. It's an open forum, as Klaus says. The U.S. Trade Rep Ambassador, Catherine Tai, she'll be there. The USAID Administrator, Samantha Power. You know who Samantha Power is, yeah? Oh, yeah, it goes all the way back to the Obama administration and before. The Special Presidential Envoy for Climate Change, John Kerry. He'll be there, of course. Of course, you got to have him there. Of course, he was one of the big speakers at COP26. Next to, of course, Joel Olstein. Who can forget that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
minister, pastor, Joel Olstein was at COP26 in Egypt this year, or COP27, 20, whatever the hell number they're on. So let's get to uh, some of these other people. We have Senator Chris Coons from the state of Delaware. We have Senator Maria Cantwell from Washington. We have Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. I, I thought he was the filibuster. <laughs> why would he be going there if he's so concerned about being that filibuster? But why why would he be going there? Huh? Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. never the filibuster uh, filibuster no. vote. He was always the vote of how can I get more in my yes. pocket yes. by standing against this? You got it. And by the way, uh, he's also part of the reason that uh, the great state of West Virginia has been sold out to communist China. I'd just like to point that out. Senator James Risch from Idaho. He's a Republican, actually. Senator Kristen Sinema. Bruce, you remember that controversy with Senator Sinema? She just said last week she's leaving the Democrat Party. She's going to be becoming an independent, which usually, as I said last week, they're further left than, than the Democrats, at least in the U.S. Uh, representative from the House, uh, Don Bayer from Virginia. Representative Joaquin Castro from Texas. Representative Daryl Issa from California. Remember Issa? Oh, he was the a big time uh, a hit piece during the Obama administration. Oh, he was going to lead investigations into Benghazi and he was going to lead investigations into what happened in Libya. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really went far, didn't it? That's why. Representative Gregory Meeks from New York, Representative Seth Moulton from Massachusetts, Representative Maria Salazar from Florida, Republican, by the way, Representative uh, Mickey Sherrill from New Jersey, Representative Juan Vargas from California, and this last one, Bruce, I know you're going to love this last one, the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Christopher Wray. He's going to be there as well. On the heels of documents coming out that the FBI was using the intelligence apparatus to investigate American citizens illegally without warrant. Yeah, that, what a douchebag. Earlier this week, I had a little bit of a fast book spat with what is possibly, uh, I don't know, a troll bot, whatever you'd want to call him. I'd made a comment on something on GB News and this guy, and I'm going to name him because apparently he's a, a successful author in several fields. His name's Mark Barfield and he sold 50,000 books, a whole 50,000. Uh, he asked me what was my experience of the World Economic Forum because I'd, I'd basically said on this GB News piece, why are you even bothering to surmise about how things are going to go within British politics. We will get what Davos and the WEF tells our government we are having. And you look at all those people that are, that are now attending um, from the US, that's a huge amount of political influence and within the security services as well. So I said to him, I, I haven't got any actual experience of the WEF. What I've got is two to three years of observing their policies, their video and audio output, their ideas, who's attending, the boasts and, and interviews of, of Klaus Schwab. And he says, oh, so actually you've got no first-hand experience. I said, well, who has? Who has got first-hand experience of the World Economic Forum? He says, well, I have. Do you want to come? I'll introduce you to someone on Friday. So to, a day after tomorrow, uh, or yeah, he was expecting me to get on a plane, fly to Geneva, and he would introduce me to someone from the World Economic Forum. So I looked the guy up, 
And when he said in a successful author in several fields, he's written three books and they're all on coaching and, and better performance within triathlon. Now, I've been running, swimming and cycling since I was a child and never felt the need to write a book about it. So unless he meant the field around which they run or the fields around which they run or cycle, he's written books in one field. So I'd just like to say that, Mark Barfield. He might even listen because apparently he's heard of our podcast. He's called us low budget, didn't like the look of our numbers because I said, tell you what, let's have this conversation about why you think the WEF is so beneficial and benevolent on air. Come on the podcast. I promise you, as we have promised all of our guests, that it would be a non-hostile um, environment where we get everybody's opinion uh, around the table and no one gets interrupted or talked over. So, And then he backpedaled. He said, well, I didn't say it was beneficial. It's just that several of these NGOs and certain things that it does has obviously benefited him as an individual within the realm of triathlon sport. So that's what it is. You get some good out of everything. They have to. You can't have something that is just pure nasty through and through on the outside and the inside. It has to have some elements where people appear to have been helped. Otherwise, their cover would be blown way too soon. And I was thinking about this with various evil empires in the past. The Romans, they brought fresh water via aqueducts and roads and public order, but they completely changed each conquered country or tribal area. They completely changed their culture. They turned all the old pagan festivals into Christian festivals eventually. You know, Christmas used to be Beltane and Somain, the, the winter festivals. Easter was uh, from the god Estrus, nothing to do with eggs uh, and, re and rebirth. The Romans changed those things. The Nazis, the Nazis brought to the, uh, the the downtrodden German people after the Treaty of Versailles, they brought to their selected throng, they brought hope. You even got a lot of medical research that we use to this day and are, are developing from to this day from all the filthy, dirty, lousy experiments that Mengele and other doctors did in the concentration camps. So there's always something good out of these evil entities. So anyway, Mark Barfield, if you are listening, I would love to come and have a chat with someone from the World Economic Forum. I did look up the word forum and what it means, and it, it, it means a, a medium for an open exchange of ideas. But it seems that the World Economic Forum is only if you are a fledgling mass-produced politician to be groomed a sitting politician to be used and uh, a billionaire to bring the weight of your wealth uh, and and corporate empire to bear on the public, which who are the enemy. What they actually need is to invite a few absolute nobodies and let them vote and clap or not clap or boo at these crazy suggestions that are coming out of Davos. The fifteen-minute city, all products or services. But. You're gonna eat, yeah. So screw you, Mark Barfield. You're an utter tosser, and the World Economic Forum 
is an evil entity, and my experience of it is just the same as any other awake individual's experience of it. I would have loved you to come on to the, the podcast, but as you so vehemently declined, calling us low budget and not very good and all the rest of it, bollocks to you, mate. Oh, so no, thanks I'm, for uh, letting glossing me get over the whole I'm glossing over. No, I, I I hear you. I'm not glossing over this this low budget thing. I mean, yeah, we don't take corporate dollars. And that's why we talk about whatever we please around here and we don't censor or anything like that. But um, you know, I, I'm proud of the work that we do here. And I I quite frankly, I listen to the multi-million dollar operations. I listen to them and I listen to the quality that they're putting out. And we are on par with that. I listen to some of the other podcasters that take corporate dollars and take all the big sponsorships that are not multi-million dollars, but they take corporate sponsorships, but their quality is low. And when I say low, I get bored after about five minutes. You know, the audio well, Can you imagine a chat with and... this guy? He's written oh, three goodness. books. He's written three books on triathlon. He's uh -huh. even plagiarizing ideas inside his books about coaching. Oh, uh, wow. You've heard of a smart objective, yeah? Yes, yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I read a few extracts from his books, and it, it's just blatant plagiarism. Uh, and it's what a lot of people do. They think, oh, I'm going to learn a bit about this, and then I'm going to write a book about it. Everyone buys the book, and I get rich. All these, they're, they're modern-day charlatan um, fakes within NLP. You know, oh, I, I can get, I can get, coach you to do this. I can help you improve yourself. They do very little for individuals, but what they do is they write a, a self-improvement book and hope to get rich from that. That's how they do it. Ask hats like Dr. Shillery, for instance. I'm sure he must have books out that, that that he's written because he's had a little bit of TV fame because he he was when in his younger days he was medical eye candy. All, all the these daytime. housewives watching yeah, they, daytime they TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd be they'd be buying his book. The world is full of them, and I am immune to advertising. I'm immune to hype. I don't get excited about many things. I get bloody angry, as you can tell, about some things. But it's the way we've become. We we've allowed ourselves to be fooled by these people by knowledge that you've already got. If, if you want to improve your physical fitness and run faster, cycle faster, swim faster, work at it. That's the only real answer. Hard work. There is nothing in any book that is going to help you do it other than knowing you just have to work harder. And people like Mark Barfield irritate the hell out of me, but I would, would have really loved him to come on. He'll probably sue me now, but... Uh, you know, they're going to take all my money eventually anyway. They're going to so, get it all so, from everybody anyway. Yeah, so they're going to have it It all. doesn't matter. Go ahead, Bruce. Because so right, I have I'll, a rebuttal to... Uh, yeah, please do. But I have a rebuttal because I, I, I think I know what Marty's problem is. We'll address that here in just a second. Or rather, yeah. the, the person here is going to address that here in just a moment. <laughs> Go ahead, Bruce. So the, the, <laughs> Go on, Bruce. The, the problem that you, you brought up with this guy is... Um, what I don't know anything about him or any of that. Basically, what you said, though, is he's a... He's a shill. Um, basically, he's he's suckling off the teat of um, the Davos agenda. And the book that he wrote is more or less, uh, excuse me, uh, co-authored some books. The the books that he was involved in is just a a way to uh, say, hmm, I'm better than you. I, I'm, I'm more educated. I'm more because I looked at the reviews on Amazon and looked at the sales. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, that's a low budget, um, not very well read. Book, oh, I know. Um, I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I did. I did a similar set of research as much as I could dive into him. And there's some people, even if they are on the other side, like, for instance, I would still go for a beer with Boris Johnson. I may well, he may well not come back from that beer, but I would go for a beer with him. Whereas this guy, I wouldn't piss on him if he was burning. Uh, he he bores me that much. I've got other phrases, but I won't use because it's a family show, and I don't know how many bleeps we're we're, we're into so far. So none um, so far, none so far. None. We're doing oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't wow. on him. Oh, sorry, I wouldn't give him the steam off my. Is yeah. is another phrase uh, that describes how I feel about Mark Barfield. So uh, uh, again, um, uh, not knowing anything about this guy, I would. I agree. I would have enjoyed having him on here. The problem that I have uh, with individuals like this is there is no room for civil discourse uh, in, in in this scenario. This is uh, the, the way he comes at us in this is already hostile. Again, he would have had a fair shake here, you know, if he was willing to come on. But to throw Molotovs at us, I'm I'm sorry. We're only going to shoot back. I mean, he he started the insults. He called me insular, saying that oh, I'm only in an echo chamber, and we're just listening a, to no, our own. That's ideas. reprojection. He's reprojecting. That's all he's doing. Yeah. And the other thing he he called us was conspiracy theorists. Oh wow. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love a good conspiracy theory. I mean, I think it's you know crackpot nonsense. I, I love a good conspiracy. I was actually going to run that idea past you. I think maybe every now and again we should start doing just we'll we'll do it as in like listener supported. So the listeners and us ourselves, we will pick each. We will pick or each of us will pick our favorite conspiracy theory, and we will either prove it or disprove it, and we'll have a, a discourse about it. I actually thought about doing something like that because that, I think that would be a lot of fun. You know, the, it would the, be fun, yeah, yeah. Because you know, we, you, we, we always we, talk we, about the the lizard people and everything. I think that's hilarious. So we could, you know, we could talk about all that stuff and and everything else. But I, I see what you're saying. Yes, that you're you're right, Bruce. The guy's already hostile, and yeah, he would have a a fair shot. I mean, I'm willing to sit down and talk with anybody. You say you'd have a beer with Boris Johnson. I'd have dinner with Bernie Sanders. I would. I would sit down and have a conversation, but he's not going to listen. You know, the, these people, they already have hostile intentions toward anyone that opposes their view of things. And that's that's how it is, is it, just like in American politics. This is how things are. And you're not going to step out of line like poor Mr. Brignan's learning about in the House of Commons. This is how things are. And you're stepping out of line. So we can't have we, that. We live in a surveillance society, unfortunately, just about everything we say or do. Um can be can wind up wind up being recorded, observed, and analysed by others, and usually to our detriment. And I think him taking that stance on a thread where ninety percent of the other commenters were slagging the British government off because they are not doing anything. They are they they're not only well they're not deluded as Michael uh, Michael Nigel Farage accuse them of being earlier today or maybe yesterday. They're not delusional. They are absolutely complicit. They are aware, but they're doing nothing. And and this is this was how the conversation started on Fastbook. And Mr. Barfield decided to challenge me onto what I'd said. And then he tried to discredit me. And that's the worst thing. And that's what I don't want our listeners to suffer 
yeah. or even 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 entertain the idea that you would stop having an opinion unless someone had 100% convinced you otherwise. I asked this man the same question about seven times. Why do you think the WEF is benevolent? And in the end, all he could say was, oh, actually, I'm ambivalent about it. Then why the flying f*** have you wasted my time with this conversation was how I felt, you know, and... I didn't say that. I didn't swear in any any of them. I didn't call him any bad names apart from boring, which I think he definitely is. So that's fact. It's it's not a slur. But yeah, he he just wouldn't accept my invite, and I I would have accepted his had I not have been a bit busy on Friday. And I'm not sure. Do you need to be snake oil to get into Switzerland? I think at the moment you do not. I think. Oh, okay. I might just. I, 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 I've got. I've got his business address, so I might just rock yeah. up. And I'm say a few hours before. north of there, so if you need bail money, just call. <laughs> I think I know what the problem here is, Marty, and I. I sympathize. I. I do. I sympathize, and the reason I sympathize is because you see, you're just not trustworthy. You don't have enough trust in the people that attend Davos, and and most notably, you don't have trust with with Klaus Schwab either. I, I get that feeling. Is that is that true? You just you don't have any. You don't have any trust. You oh, are not on, trustworthy on, to them, and they're not trustworthy to you. So there's a, there's a lack of trust here. I really love doing this to you, but you started that whole bit with you are not trustworthy. What you mean is to them, I am not, not yeah, yeah. To, to I them. am not gullible or trusting of them. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, I yeah. I misspoke, but yes, you you get what I'm saying. You're not trusting of them, and and they're not trusting of you because you don't agree with their their viewpoints. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I would say that's a very fair assessment. Okay, well, just so happens that the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum has a solution for these types of issues. It is so exciting. So at the beginning of the year, we can meet again in person. Only personal interaction creates a necessary level of trust, which we need so much in our fragmented and fractured world. To bring people together for an informal dialogue in a remote Swiss village such as Davos can be or should be a good recipe to restore trust. Maybe you should go. I'd love to. I'd absolutely the, love to go. The vaccine requirements were lifted February of last year for Switzerland. So okay. there is no requirement for vaccination status or to present any of that uh, relevant medical data for COVID-19 uh, to enter the country. That's very interesting. It, it does well, open see, Marty, up an opportunity. See, Marty, if you, want, if you want trust restored, if you um, on both sides, if you want trust restored, then as you heard him, there's nothing better than an in-person meeting in the town of Davos to restore that trust. Yeah, but only if you're a billionaire, fledgling, bloody bought and paid for, groomed politician or sitting politician that is going to help those globalist ideas come to fruition. And when he calls it a fragmented world, that is his worst nightmare. The fact that it's not a globalist thing yet. That the fact that there are sovereign nations and sovereign citizens within those nations, that's his worst nightmare. That doesn't help him get his plans into action. And we've got to resist globalism at every opportunity. And we've said it time and time again, shop locally, buy your food locally, support local businesses, stop buying online, stop using Amazon if you can, please. 
even though they might be going to a business near you and the stuff is perhaps sourced locally, it's still a globalist organization that is taking a cut for doing virtually nothing because the software, the website, the server does it all. It's nothing. It's it's an automation. And the more they automate, the less they need you. And we will become, as Noah Harari has said, those useless people. You know, to, to your point about Amazon uh, and supporting local, I don't know what it is in other areas, but I know since we were talking about books, uh, I do know that with books, if you were to write a book and then sell it on Amazon, uh, Amazon takes 70%. Yeah. I mean, Barfield was trying to, you know, impress me with, um, it's, I'm, I'm going to look him up on LinkedIn. In fact, I already have looked him, looked him up on LinkedIn. And these people that are they, they're just so desperate to be part of of business, uh, of big business, of corporations, of wealth. It, it's pure greed that drives them. And this guy isn't that successful. He's more successful than some have been, but he's, he's not really that successful. And that's what I meant or where I was going when I said we live in a surveillance society. So at some point or another, he's hoping that one of these creatures that he might have met before inside the WF is going to say, hey, Mark, we've got a job for you. Come in here and do this or give us this piece of in information and spout this bit of propaganda for us. You know, that's what he's hoping. Just like those politicians that flipped, I'm sorry, but I, I, the ones that flipped in the Senate to take the vote the other way, that'll have been got to. They will have, they will have got that offer that meant that their vote could be bought and... This is what's happening with all of our politicians at the moment. They're not delusional. They're not incompetent. They're doing a really good job of making sure globalist plans happen. Here's the thing, though. You're, you're talking about politicians. And, and let's take a step back from the politician thing for a second. I mean, that kind of goes without saying. I agree with what you're you're on about there. It's the House of Representatives, by the way. But hey, I'm not going to split hairs here uh, okay. with McCarthy uh, because the Senate's just as bad, right? They make concessions over there more than they do in the House anyway. So I'll, I'll give you that. But this individual that, uh, you know, and not to keep hammering this, but just to pick that as an example, as we've been discussing that, why? That's the question I have to ask myself is, is why? How can you subject yourself to hang on to, to just scum like this? I, I just, I can't even fathom. Let, let me explain, right, from, from, a, uh, from a personal experience, all right? This past weekend, uh, I went to a, a health um, outing, if you will. Uh, I don't even really want to say it was a health outing, but it was a, um, it was a very nice place. I'll just put it that way. There was a, a rather wealthy family from the... Uh, United Arab Emirates that put a very large amount of billions of euros into a facility here to bring it up to their standards, if you will. And you spending time out there, you know what that means. Uh, they put a whole bunch of money in. It's a very nice place. So I went to this place just for a night, just to see what it was like. And you know what? I was not impressed. I was not impressed at all. And I, I went there with an open mind. I thought, okay, seems all right. You know, it's a nice place. They got all the anemones and, you know, everything you could possibly ask for. Anything. And and when you asked for something, not only did it show up, but it showed up with an apology because they were less than 30 seconds late. That's the kind of service you got. But I wasn't impressed. I, I wasn't impressed. I don't know if I was even uh, expecting to be, but I thought, why am I, I about halfway through that trip? I thought, why am I even here? I mean, I was comfortable. I, I, get, I was comfortable, I but totally it was, get where, where you're coming from. It with, was the with people. That. 
it was the people that that I was around is is my point. Now these are not people that are uh, well maybe they are people that would be like this individual that you're talking about that have those business connections to go up through that. But these are not the types of people that I can have a conversation with. You know, the most genuine person that I could see there was a guy named Fernando. And do you know what Fernando did? He was the bartender. You're close. He was the chef that cooked breakfast. Uh-huh. As I'm sitting there at breakfast and I'm, I'm looking around and I see all these people, I couldn't tell if I was at breakfast or if I was at a, a reject line of, uh, you know, a Prada runway show. I couldn't tell if that's where I was or, or what. And I just thought to myself, I'm looking around and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm observing people. I mean, that's, that's what I do. You know, I look, at, I look at people's behavior patterns just by default. And I think to myself, these, all these people, all of them, they're all fake. All of them, they're, they're fake. This is the impression that I got. They're trying to impress somebody that doesn't care. And when I look at these people, just to make the comparison, when I look at these people like the one you're talking about or the ones that are sitting on their, their asses down there in Davos in their, their expensive suits, living on stolen taxpayer money, lecturing us all day long about how we need to live according to them, I see a bunch of people that are trying to impress a bunch of people that don't care. That's well, the feeling that I get. Yeah. And I just, I this, wanted to get as far away from that as I could. We, we as, as a, as a species are, you know, we're, we're tribal. We like to be within a tribe and you've got all kinds of examples of, of how tribalism reveals itself. Football fans, we're all going to wear the same color top. We're all going to sing the same songs. We're going to do the same charm. We're going to feel the same way. We're going to be happy when we win. We're going to be all sad together when we lose. And these individuals want to be part of that club. But in the words of Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. And it clearly didn't impress you. We've got to ask ourselves, what does impress us? Things that impress me is, is people who achieve in adversity. People who can do stuff without anybody else's help people who know how to ask for help and and to cooperate and to, to give as much back as they're taking. Those kind of things impress me. But that kind of culture, I mean, I've been to those those kind of resorts as well in the UAE. I've, I've stayed in the Emirates Palace, which is a, a mixture between really, really nice hotel and, and leisure centre and spa and a royal palace. And again, in there, we had a butler service and um, hot and cold running waiters and waitresses. Uh, it was all really, really pleasant, but for a very short period of time. Because if you stayed there too long, that's when you'd start to, I mean, you, you it was within a, the space of a few hours. You're, you're already looking around going, why am I here? Because these people are not anyone that I would really like to have a conversation with. There's a, a religious parable, and you can help me out here, Bruce. It's about the guy casting seeds, and some landed on stony ground and so on. And the crux of the parable is that some seeds landed in fertile ground, and they grew. Now, there's an awful lot of these narcissistic sociopaths around. Not all of them land on fertile ground. People like Barfield are on the periphery. He might have got a little shoot coming up, a bit of success, but he's looking over at, at the fertile ground going, that's where I should have been planted. I want to be amongst those ones, those ones that have got that much power and influence, which I know you're about to say they haven't, they're losers, but they're, they're really not. They're winning at the moment, but they'll lose in the end if 
everybody does what they can do, stop them. But at the moment, I'm not seeing enough action to, to stop globalism from, from really taking root and these ultra-rich elite from having their way with all of mankind. Mentioning a religious proverb, I'll, I'll raise it. Well, that was a parable, but I'll present a religious proverb. The wisdom of a rich man is listened to, whereas the wisdom of a poor man is not. And exactly. It, 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 that's what and, we're running into. I said this about AOC a while back, and I can't for the life of me remember what question it was she asked, but her question was just dismissed by the witness. And just because she might be a Fruit Loop Marxist nobody doesn't mean that that one question she asked wasn't deserving of an answer, because even a stop clock is right twice a day. So that's the situation. That's the way I see it with the, these people. And those situations that Johnny was describing, they're wannabes. They're still not quite there because people who have got real wealth, they can be perfectly nice people. It's the ones that haven't quite got it that turn nasty because they've got something to prove and something to gain. I suppose I had another thought there and it's just slipped my aging brain. But um, yeah, you know, if you haven't got anything to prove, you can be nice. And, that, and that's all you'd expect from people. You'd expect people to be uh, altruistic and philanthropic and to help people out. If I had that kind of wealth, that's what I'd do. But I'm wired differently to these narcissists. I, I would also propose that um, uh, some of the wealthy became wealthy because of exactly that. They were vicious. They were brutal in their uh, business dealings. They were not, shall we say, entirely legal. It was just kind of a gray area. Uh, and because society recognizes wealth and, um, you know, people that have come up or, or have a business or whatever, um, since we view that well, uh, those people are rewarded for the, the um, immoral actions they took. And I, I would say that, um, or I can make an argument that, which I technically am, that uh, this individual that we're uh, kind of talking about, um, whether real or fictitious, they could just be emulating behavior of those that were successful. And they, they seem and that's, like, you know. That's one of the methods inside NLP is modeling. You see the example of what you want to be and you copy their behaviors and you hope that that generates somehow the path to success that you want or their version of success. So, yeah, you know what? That's the third third really good thing I had to say that it just slipped out of my mind tonight. I probably need a drink. I probably need a strong coffee. You just need a COVID job. That, that, that's, it's climate change. We'll solve everything. Problem. Is that yes. what I need? That yeah. is what it is, yeah. That's, that's what I you need. I need those lipid nanoparticles crossing yes, my do. membranes to, yes. to knit my yeah. synapses together. So you I got can, it. You got it. Yeah. Uh, they yeah, have clearly they have jabs that'll fix that. Yeah. Clearly it's climate change because uh, I, I can hear the... Uh, Sounds like sleet or something. Yeah, the, rain the or ice uh, or something. It's, or rain it's, rain. There's really heavy rain outside, yeah. Oh, I see. Well, it is England, and as a mutual friend of ours once said, Marty, if it's not raining in England, then there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. So we are going to have to go. Uh, unfortunately, we are going to have to leave it there, and uh, we will see you next week, Marty. I want to thank all the listeners. God bless you all, and have a great night. Good night, Mark. Good night, Mark.